0: Welcome to Motivation Insiders, the podcast that explores the way incentive, recognition and loyalty programs are designed, implemented and measured. We look at motivation with an exclusive view from, well, the inside. This podcast is published with support from Incentive Marketing Association and its affiliate, the Board of Directors for the Incentive and Engagement Solutions Providers. And with that, my name is Tim Houlihan and I'm your host for Motivation Insiders. If you have children or have spent time around the children of others, you've seen them beg and negotiate for things they want. More time with their video games. More time with their friends. Can't do the dishes tonight. Need a pass for homework today.
1: Goodbye.
0: Why do they say those things? Well, they say those things to persuade. And to persuade is human. This episode is about persuasion and the important role it plays in successful reward and recognition programs. In reality, persuasion is important to nearly everything, especially when it comes to communication. We communicate with our other people for three primary reasons, to build relationships, to learn, and to persuade. Persuasion isn't about just selling somebody on something. It's really an important thing to recognize that persuasion is not coercion or manipulation, especially when it's used ethically. Daniel O'Keefe, a professor of communication at Northwestern University, defines persuasion as a successful intentional effort at influencing another's mental state through communication in a circumstance in which the persuadee has some measure of freedom yeah um, that's a little goopy but you can think of it this way persuasion is wanting to influence someone without limiting their choices while there are several different lenses we might use to look at persuasion in this episode we're basing the discussion on robert cialdini's seven principles of persuasion that he outlined in his best-selling book influence Dr. Cialdini is a professor of psychology at Arizona State University, and his life's work has been focused on trying to understand how we persuade each other. He's published dozens of peer-reviewed papers and has been named to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is about as rare as winning an Oscar for Best Actor. Cialdini outlines seven principles, or pillars as he sometimes calls them and they are the foundations of persuasion. I'm going to run through them so you're aware of them all, but we'll only dive into a few with some interviews. The first is reciprocity. I spoke with Dr. Cialdini recently, and this is how we summed it up.
1: But there's, there's the rule of reciprocity. They're going to be generous in return for having received that generosity. They're going they're going to like you and they're going to give it back. And now you have two people who like one another, who want to exchange benefits and resources and advantages with one another. I don't know how it gets better than that.
0: Basically, we feel obliged to return favors to people who have done favors for us. Rochelle Suver, vice president at 110 Marketing, told me about how reciprocity is a key element in successful recognition programs.
2: Well, I think that although we may not consciously take these into consideration, there is just just a natural human inclination to do for others as they've done for you. And when it comes to, in particular, peer recognition programs, where it's not influenced by um, a monetary award, if you will. You know, when someone acknowledges you for doing a, a great job, you feel inclined to have a heightened um, maybe sense of awareness to do the same for them in the future. And so I thought that that was really interesting, um, the, the natural urge to return a favor when someone does, does that for you.
0: What makes reciprocity a great technique of persuasion and not an act of coercion or manipulation is the absence of quid pro quo exchange. Quid pro quo would look something like this. The company gives an employee an award now, but tells them that there is a lot more expected of them in the future. Now, not only is this not ethical, but it's also not a healthy way to engage your employees nor is it the proper way to recognize people. Scenes like this create a highly calculative culture and leaders will soon find people will only do the incremental tasks if there's something tangible in it for them. A client of mine used to say, I want to catch my people in the act of doing something good. And she was right. Humans are the most social animals on the planet and we rely on the rest of the tribe for support. But in order to ask for that support, we have to show value to the tribe. In some ways, life on a corporate team as an individual contributor is not much different than life in a small tribe some 40,000 years ago. Each of us have different roles, but we often need to work together to achieve goals that we can't accomplish alone. But there's more than just catching people doing good things. Sometimes we need to initiate good things. And here's an example of how one company does that. Agarwal, the co-founder of Zozo Day, a rewards and recognition, incentive, perks, loyalty, payouts, and engagement program provider based in India, said this to me recently.
3: Now, since everyone is trying to sell something these days, uh, there is is a glut of uh, information which is sent to prospective buyers. And most of the times these buyers don't open their emails or they don't, they just delete it. Now, by adding a small rewarding component within these integrations like HubSpot and Salesforce, uh, the, the open rates and the demo rates for the clients increase significantly because it created a reciprocal IOU kind of a situation. Where by sending a small, see, twenty-five dollar Starbucks uh, coffee voucher or maybe some sort of a, a gift card uh, from Amazon, uh, the prospect gets some some kind of a signal that hey, I I need to revert back to this uh, to this uh, uh, sales guy.
0: Humans do good things for each other. We need each other to survive. But if you want to make the most when trying to be persuasive, be the initiator of some goodwill, even if it's just recognizing someone else. It will make your team more cohesive and more productive, and it can get the ball rolling with your channel partners. The second principle of persuasion is authority, and it's about how we are more likely to believe and defer to others when we see them as experts or leaders. Authority is something related to a job title, but it doesn't have to be. It's built on our natural inclination to follow experts and leaders, whether they are formally or informally acknowledged. Rochelle gave a great example.
2: And it's just natural because it's part of their culture. The senior leadership adopts it. The CEO or the president adopts it. And really, you know, when the entire workforce looks to that senior level or the C-suite and they say, "Okay, if it's good enough for them and they can make time in their schedule in their day, then certainly I can do the same. I also see it when it doesn't work very well, When, when leadership sees or thinks, let me put it that way, that this doesn't apply to them. We're going to launch a recognition program for our people, but it really doesn't apply to me. I don't have to recognize anybody. This is really for our peers to recognize each other. So when they remove themselves from the equation, that's when it can really go terribly wrong.
0: Also, research done by my colleague Silky Britton in the UK has shown that more than 80% of a company's messaging can come from as few as 3% of the company's employees, the influencers. If you want to persuade employees or channel partners to engage in your program, make sure your authority figures communicate their support. Use the dealer council to endorse the program or seek validation and promotional messages from the company's internal comms team or the team that manages the intranet. Find the experts and the leaders and the authority figures who will help you achieve your goals. The third principle is consistency. This principle comes from how we feel a strong pressure to be consistent with our prior actions and our words. It's based on the importance of keeping a reliable self-image by matching our current actions with those of our past. Interestingly, once small commitments are made, they can easily lead to larger actions. It's an important principle with lots of implications in sales and marketing, but for now, we're going to leave it at that and come back to it in a later episode. I want to take just a quick break here to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Incentive and Engagement Solution Providers, or IESP, a strategic industry group of the Incentive Marketing Association. The IESP is a trusted resource for business leaders globally, helping their organizations achieve results through engagement and incentive solutions. Our goal is to educate and promote the benefits of results-based programs to the worldwide business community while promoting the services, products, and brands of its members. You can visit the IESP website in the show notes for more information, including summaries of all of the IESP members. Now, back to our discussion on persuasion. The fourth principle of persuasion is scarcity. Scarcity is when we value scarce resources like information or things more than the things that are abundant. It's connected to our growing experience with FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. It's central to being human. Scarcity is worth keeping in mind as you set up your incentive and recognition programs to highlight the rarity of certain rewards and recognitions. Dr. Cialdini shared a great story with me, and we pick up the trail in a big box store where he was searching for a new television. So I was standing in front of it and looking at
1: it, and the salesman came up and said, I see you're interested in this set at this price. I can see why, it's a great deal, but I have to tell you, it's our last one. (laughs) (laughs) I I know about the scarcity principle, right? But my hands started to shake. <laughs> you, no, you're, you're, you're feel, were you being played? Did you feel I, like... I, I, I knew that the scarcity principle was operative here. Yes. And yeah. I didn't know whether I should believe him or not. I'm supposed to be the godfather of influence. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: 20 minutes later, I'm wheeling out of the shop
0: <laughs> with this
1: thing in my cart. Because I'm human. You know? And the, the truth is, when scarcity is real... Yeah, I want to know that. I want that guy to tell me that. He's not my adversary by using the scarcity principle when it's genuinely
0: true. And that's the most important element of this story. The TV he bought really was the last one at that price. If your recognition program allows for an unlimited number of recognitions, don't tell employees they need to participate because you'll run out. That wouldn't be ethical. We only use scarcity if in fact something is actually scarce. So consider using scarcity to drive behavior when you're launching an incentive program. Offer a specific number of extra rewards for selling a particular service or a package. The extra rewards might only last for so long because there's a predetermined number of them. So sales reps want to take home the extra rewards and they're gonna need to get after them right away. The next principle of persuasion is social proof, and this is a biggie because it happens when we look to the behavior of others to determine how we should act or think. Now, This is especially true when the situation is ambiguous or new, and it happens more than you might think. We are naturally more influenced by those we see as similar to us, our reference groups, so we often take cues from our peers about how to act in a particular situation. Why? Because our ultra social selves really just want to avoid being left out. Um,
4: And of course, it's the same with, uh, you know, groups of people you want to feel included. You want to be respected in the same way that you respect others and things. And, you know, when you get, uh, you know, people coming back from an incentive travel trip, having had a brilliant time. For some people, they're very pleased for those people. But if they had an equal chance of being able to go on that trip and maybe didn't try as hard as they could have done to have got a place and like, you know, then actually next time around, you, you know, bet your bottom dollar that they're going to try twice as hard.
0: That was David Gould, the managing director of 360 Insights in the UK. And his example shines light on what it's like when a bunch of sales reps return to the office after a week on the company's recognition trip to some exotic location. And he even called out the power of using social proof in a recognition program. By having peers recognize each other, it not only signals that the program is bigger than just a bunch of leaders recognizing a few junior people, it's also about validating the culture.
4: I've heard in many cases that Being called out or shouted out by people in another team that might even be junior to you, that can sometimes mean more than getting praise from your boss or from another leader in the business that you're not really that connected with.
0: I also spoke with Manoj Agarwal on this topic. Manoj and I discussed how one of his clients, company culture changed dramatically in a relatively short period of time, even positively impacting NPS scores, just by implementing their social platform that allowed employees to recognize each other for anything, even non-work activities.
3: Employees started using this uh, social intranet employee engagement product, uh, talking about their training certifications, some colleagues recognizing the effort of other colleagues, someone talking about which is the great book they read last week, someone wishing on a birthday, someone winning a reward, and so on. Now, by doing all this, uh, the client started saying that employees were starting to get actively engaged. Uh, there was a culture of appreciation. Uh, there was a culture of uh, recognition uh, for each other. And this all connected back with employees, uh, the company's values uh, and, and uh, goals and, uh, uh, and the mission and vision. And, and, and the client could uh, see a very good improvement in the ENPS score, uh, which was going south uh, earlier.
0: So for some reason, these next few words are kind of hard to pronounce together. But the sixth principle of persuasion is about liking. It says we are more likely to say yes to people that we like. Now, okay, so while this seems like a huge no brainer to some, especially for those of you in sales, we often take it for granted or even underplay the power of, that accompanies being perceived as likable. Now, I spoke with Vanessa Bonds, a professor of psychology at Cornell University in New York. Her work is totally focused on interpersonal influence. Dr. Bond's research indicates that making a plea for something in person is significantly more powerful than doing it remotely or via email.
2: But that said, I mean, there is research certainly showing that like being dressed in clothes that suggests some similarity with the person that you're mm. asking, you know, affects whether they're likely to comply with your request. I'm sure attractiveness, there's some about like signaling authority. So like if you're wearing a suit versus, you know, just street clothes, so there's definitely differences.
0: You know, this concept came to life in a very dark example in the movie Wall Street, when Charlie Sheen's character wanted to dress like his mentor, the slimy Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas. Now, as soon as Sheen could afford it, he was imitating the look and lifestyle of his wealthy idol. Sheen's character was able to effectively persuade Gecko in part because he was seen as likable by the man he was trying to influence. Now, for your situation, consider a more ethical route. Use the power of liking to help advance your company's DEI i mission, or to help your clients engage more employees or more dealers by using a spokesperson that the audience is more likely to like. The last principle, and the one most recently identified by Cialdini and his team, is unity. The underlying idea for this unity is similar to liking, but it goes a bit beyond it. In liking, we're more apt to persuade if we appear to be like the other person. Maybe we cheer for the same team or work in the same division, and that's great. But unity goes a step further. We see the other person as part of our tribe. Like Because a sense of real shared values, we believe them more. We're more likely to help them, and we are more likely to be persuaded by them. Here's Cialdini on unity.
1: What unity involves from the standpoint of persuasion science, from the standpoint of a communicator who wants people to move in his or her direction. If as a communicator, you can arrange for people to see you as one of them, not just similar to them in tastes or preferences or styles, comparable to them in membership in a group that they use to identify themselves with the groups that have you you feel a strong social identity with all, right. all barriers to influence come down
0: unity is a powerful persuasion tool in those circumstances when we feel like we're very much aligned with someone on a particular issue for most of us our most important tribe is our family. And when thinking about supporting our families, we are more likely to engage. David Gould also mentioned a special ingredient to drive engagement in a program, get the family involved.
4: When, when you talk about things like loyalty and employee retention and uh, uh, you know, looking after the people that work in your company, what better way than getting them to feel good about themselves working for you and talking about it with their family. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. It doesn't even cost anything.
0: We can't end this podcast without an itinerant look at the ethics of persuasion, these principles are very powerful mostly because they operate on us unconsciously. By that, I mean we're usually not aware of how they affect us. And because of that, marketers, HR executives, product owners, and channel leaders need to be very careful when deploying them. At the same time, we have to acknowledge that in and of themselves, the principles are neither good nor evil. It all depends on how you use them. Knowing how to ethically utilize the principles of persuasion can help you achieve more than you could without them.
1: And and we should comment favorably on those people who informed us properly about whether there's true scarcity, whether there's true authority voices who recommend this thing, whether there's true popularity, whatever the principle is. Those people are, are to be, it's not just ethically acceptable to use the principles under those circumstances, it's ethically commendable. Mm. They're informing us into assent instead of tricking or
0: coercing. Ethics have always been central to Cialdini's work. In my conversations with him, he never fails to inquire about the purpose of using one of these principles. Intentions mean a lot. The reasons that we do things or don't do things, well, they matter. When it comes to these principles, our true reasons for using them can indicate whether we're using them ethically or not. To be safe, be on the right side of the argument and use them for good reasons. Thanks for checking out this episode of Motivation Insiders. This podcast is a co-production of the IMA, IESP, and Behavioral Grooves. I'm your host, Tim Houlihan, and thank you for listening to Motivation Insiders. We heard from some terrific experts in this episode, and if you'd like to be in touch with them, their contact information is available in the episode notes. And while you're there, we hope you check out some other episodes. Thanks for listening.